Hi, I am Kelly McNeil. I'm a leadership and development coach. And like you, I am a woman in transition. And that is my focus as a coach to work with women in transition on all levels, emotional, spiritual, professional. I'm here today with John Beethan to have a conversation about what I do. That was a great start, by the way. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I know. I can tell you really know <laughs> who you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm like everyone, you know, well, a I think we're work always, in progress. Yeah, yeah, we're always working on it. Mm-hmm. But part of the reason you're here, actually, and I invited you in here, was because in speaking with you, I've met a lot of quote-unquote people that say they're life coaches. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I just think there's a whole lot of people that have no business calling themselves a life coach. Mm. You're an exception, I think. Thank you. So I, let's talk a little bit about your background, like where you're born and stuff. You're, you said you're from yeah here. Here, yeah. Grew up in Escondido, California. Nice. Yeah. Palomar yeah. Hospital. Oh, and the hot, do you remember the room number? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know my dad doesn't. I think it was the first child in my family, youngest of five, where he actually could be in the room. Oh, really? <laughs> it was, oh, that's fun. Yeah, it was that's a long nice. time ago. Yeah, so that was a long time ago. Yeah. So then uh, a little bit about the path that took you to coaching? Sure, yeah. yeah. So um, I got my BA in psychology mm-hmm. many moons ago mm-hmm. and always knew that I kind of wanted to get back to that space of helping people better understand themselves, mm-hmm. um, develop themselves, feel good about their space in the world. But I also knew that I needed to have some life experience before I really dove into it. It's sort of key, huh? Yeah, it really, it was for me. It mm-hmm. was for my own confidence and ability and uh, just to really kind of wrap my arms around the kind of coach that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So um got into sales, was successful in sales for many years and enjoyed it. And it kind of came to a point where I knew that I wasn't really getting the fulfillment out of it that I needed anymore. Mm. And coincidentally, my in-laws were both coaches. They were executive level coaches. And they told me, this is something that you'd be great at. You should really consider like exploring this path as opposed to going back into psychotherapy, which was my original love. Oh, really? Psychothe- what, mm-hmm. what area of that? Well, I, I wanted to be a therapist. Uh-huh. I wanted to go on and get my PsyD and you know be in the chair and listen to people's problems and diagnose and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But I that's mean, a, that's actually a great bra- background to have, though. Yeah, it, it is for anything. Absolutely, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just the understanding of the the human, you know, emotion and mm-hmm. um, you know motivation is is a dynamic, and that is really I feel like what is the focus of that kind of field. But you know what i what I knew for myself is just that I I had this. I'm not really great at small talk. I never have been. I really love to have those soulful, meaningful, deep conversations with people. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I originally was drawn to you. I know that because that's that's you. That's amazing what can happen over a cup of coffee. Exactly. Yeah, it's beautiful. And that's it. I mean, it's, it's having those connections with people and understanding right off the bat that this is somebody that I can connect with. Yeah. And I thought, if, if there's a way for me to be able to find that for someone, to help them discover that within themselves, mm-hmm. how to connect with that real soulful, meaningful part of them, mm-hmm. and get past all of the BS and the you know frivolous small talk. That makes no difference. It makes no difference. You know, I mean, it's great. It's a way for us to connect on a very instantaneous level, but it, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't wake me up in the morning. And I feel like Mm -hmm. in order to have those connections with people, you got to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of 
people that can't do it. Mm -hmm. So if there is a way that I can help people understand how to do that for themselves, how to get to know that part of themselves and then have those connections with their world and their community, that was what really drove me to coaching. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was kind of my motivation. Yeah. And it sounds like if you're coming from sales, then you probably have some communication skills as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, well, you know, I feel like we are who we are and that's why I was drawn to psychology and my undergrad work. That's why I was drawn to selling things to people because I just honestly didn't really care what I was selling. I just wanted to create those, those connections and those conversations and those relationships. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I do, I feel like also there's a piece in there around just kind of curiosity about life and about people and how we interact I come from a line of uh, FBI agents, which sounds... Oh, my gosh. Sounds, I, yeah. yeah, you didn't tell me that. No. It sounds a little off track, but I really do feel like there's this detective quality about, you know, wanting to connect. My dad was an agent. My grandpa was an agent. and That's fun. Yeah. And they just, you know, they were, they were those people in my world that really cared about what was going on outside of, of like, their sphere. Mm-hmm. Their process was a lot different than mine, mm-hmm. but um, I, I do feel like there's a d- detective quality within me about figuring out what's going on with Investigation. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. 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 Investigating. So uh, after being in sales and management for about 20 years, I decided that it was, it was my time to explore other avenues. I had some really intense experiences um, I have a near-death experience. Oh, yeah. can you talk about that? Sure, yeah. Um, I had, my husband and I did amazing things. We traveled, we explored the world, and when we finally decided, okay, let's stop being selfish and start getting real about what we're going to do next, and hey, maybe kids are a great idea, yeah. um, we decided to, to, to do that, but there were some complications, so I had to have a surgery and it was meant to be a very straightforward procedure, in and out, no no issue, just out, you know, a, a, the same day I'll be home in bed and everything will be dandy. And it didn't go that way. I um, I ended up having an internal bleed that no one caught oh for, my gosh. yeah, about five hours. So, um, you know, I was, I was post-surgery in the recovery room and just couldn't, they couldn't stabilize me. My heart rate was up and down. And every time I tried to set up, I'd get sick. And finally someone checked my hemoglobin levels and found that I'd lost about half the blood in my body. So I was, you know, that's dangerous. Yes, it was. Yeah. And terrifying. And I had absolutely no idea. So mm-hmm. I was being rushed to Pomerado hospital in the ambulance and feeling literally like an elephant was sitting on my chest, Mm. like just this intense pressure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was because I had such a small amount of blood trying to circulate through my body to keep me alive. And my doctor was there. The EMT was there with the crash cart on the ready in case I did have a heart attack. And I remember my doctor just holding my hand. And every time I would close my eyes to pray, he would say, stay with me, Kelly. And I was just trying to pray and like kind of be present. But in those moments when I was praying, I I remember bargaining with God about I'll be a better person. I'll pay more attention. I will drink less wine. (laughs) 
whatever you, said, you what, needed drink, to do. Drink less wine. Drink less wine. And what was it? White or red? Um. Oh gosh, I don't know. Did I don't it not make I a really difference? <laughs> Okay. Being yeah. from San Francisco for a long period oh, yeah. of time, yeah, okay. there's yeah too much good wine around there. So, uh, I mean, obviously, I recovered and yeah. it turned out to be just fine. But waking up in the recovery room, I realized that you know I wasn't I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, and I was really aware of my mortality for the first mm. time, and the fact that I needed to make some big changes and get better connected with what my purpose was on this planet. And what I'm good at. And, and so how did you discover what your purpose was? What, what talk to us? Yeah, talk to us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so I touched on the fact that my in-laws were both coaches. Then mm-hmm. they had told me so often I should try doing this. So after, after this experience in the hospital, I didn't just land back to coaching. It took me, it took me a couple years to prepare and to start emotionally and professionally creating an environment where we could live on one salary for a mm-hmm. while, while I was getting my education around coaching mm-hmm. and I could emotionally leave this you know, prosperous and place where I really connected to what I did for a living. And I was really good at it. And I got a lot of confidence from there and resetting and deciding I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be this superstar salesperson anymore. Now I'm, I'm going to reset and do something that brings me more value. Mm-hmm. So, and were you having children at this time? Yeah. So it was in 2013. I had my first son. I decided I I can't necessarily I can't leave him for these extended periods of time to go do something that doesn't fulfill me anymore. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be leaving this child, it needs to be for something that really matters. So that was the big epiphany. Um, and I decided that I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to go to the first course within the curriculum at CTI Coaches Training Institute and just kind of try it out, see what happens. Did that, fell in love with it. And then took the next four courses, went through the certification program, and two years later, I was a certified coactive coach. Nice. So yeah. you basically did the work. I did the work. Yeah, yeah. Which I alluded at the top of the program here that you know a lot of people don't do the work. Mm-hmm. They just think you know they have some sort of experience and yeah. yeah, they wake up tomorrow and they decide that they really like people, so they should be a coach. Yeah. I mean, and everyone comes to this differently, not to say that, know, that there is a right or wrong path. And I think everyone's work looks different, uh-huh. but that's, that's the work that I needed. I've always been a very scholastic person. I've always loved school. I uh-huh. love uh-huh. learning. And that was the path that worked well for me. Yeah. And I also had a lot of life experience behind me too. So it kind of married well with where I wanted to land. Uh-huh. So any other life experiences that you think led you this way or you consider to be a resource as a coach? Well, um, I've had a, I've had a lot of struggles. What, uh, kind, of, what, what kind of struggles? I mean, uh, there's a lot of addiction in my family mm-hmm. um, and just managing that and my expectations around what those relationships are meant to look like my my father and my brother and. A, you know, a lot of medical issues for myself and for my family. I've had some autoimmune issues. My daughter has type 1 diabetes, and she's mm. only two years old. Um, so navigating these things have helped me realize that we're all human, and we all have our own stories that we're trying to just push through and right. manage well. And it's it's really helped me to 
get a better lens on humanity and mm-hmm. to to be to not judge. If someone doesn't look like me or act like me, I have no idea what struggles they're working with. None of us can ever possible possibly know what another person is is suffering with or suffering themselves Absolutely. with or or victimized or yeah. you know, we just don't know. Exactly. And to it's me so that's true. Yeah, to me that's a reason to stay compassionate. That I is have, I have no reason to judge the the man in the wheelchair. None whatsoever. He could be having a great life. Yeah. I mean, he could be getting a check from the government or whatever. I mean, it could be, you know, we just don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He could be at the apex of his, you know, personhood. Yeah. But he's just not as capable, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, as, you know, we think. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really opened up so much, not just my own experiences, but the experiences that I've had with my clients, mm-hmm. connecting with people of all shapes, sizes, colors, genders, everything you can imagine, and knowing that at the core, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all just trying to live our best life mm-hmm. and come out the other side as successful as we can. Mm-hmm. Success, what does that mean to you? Doing good in the world and making it a better place than when I arrived. Oh, nice. Yeah. Being, making a, making a difference. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not mother Teresa. I'm not trying to save the world, but I think we all have the capacity and the ability to every day make the world a better place. I, I totally agree. I mean, one of my images that I really like is taking a lemon and turning it into a lemon pie. Ah, oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So do you have a case or two, a coaching case or two that you could talk about that would give me a sense for somebody that maybe found themselves or helped turn mm. around or, or or even somebody that said, you know what, thank you very much, Kelly, but I realize this isn't for me. I want to become a pianist or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that question. Um, yeah. So I, I do. I mean, I have many, I have many to draw from, but um there's there's one specific client who was a searcher and um she's actually still a client of mine lovely woman lovely professional had accomplished so much in her life but just didn't feel seen didn't feel heard mm-hmm. felt like her voice was stifled and she couldn't figure out why and uh, we've been working together for many years and, and though I am a coach and I sit with my, my clients and it is a very coactive relationship, meaning that we meet each other at the same level. That's a byline of your business, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So I'm not a therapist. I'm not the professional. I'm not the specialist of coactive. their life. Mm-hmm. So well, we I are, really like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, we're on the same level. I'm learning about their life as they share it with me and we're walking the path together to discover what's next for them and mm-hmm. help prepare that piece for them. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were doing together. And a lot of stuff coming up came up for her around her past, with her experience with her mom, abuse she'd had as a child. And I can't really touch specifically on that sure. because I'm not trained in psychoanalysis. So all we could do is have conversations around it. But over the years, I saw her just blossom into this understanding of, I don't have to be limited by my own negative self-talk. Mm. I... I can blossom and be whoever I want to be. There's no definition to what my future is going to hold based off my experiences of the past. 
And that came from, you know, having a lot of conversations around the negative talk that she has, her, what I call internal saboteurs, Mm -hmm. and how to name them, create them, make them a real metaphor, a physical experience, and then create some type of an activity around how do you say, get out of my life. Make sure that they understand how yeah, to do that. Yeah, I, I typically call those people or those entities or properties an inside job. Oh, I like that. <laughs> you may steal it from me. I might have to. Well, I might have that's to. That's an inside job. That's good. Well, that's because, I mean, there is a lot around terminology with clients because saboteurs sure. could sound a little too hooey-gooey to people. Yeah, but, I, you know, there's a lot of people I know that self-sabotage. Yes. And and many people do through uh, through the talk we're talking. Yeah. The, the monkey mind, mm-hmm. I think is what some people yep. call it. The yeah. gremlin. We all yeah. have it. I mean, even the most, you know, self-realized person has that negative inside saboteur or gremlin or inside jobber. So what do you do when that little gremlin comes out in you? Oh. Is there something, a little technique you do? Yeah, I can tell you. She's she's a tricky one. She she mm-hmm. uh, she's a tricky. Does she one. have a name? Um, uh, you don't have to tell us what it is because then you don't want to get emails with hey. Right. Yeah. We'll just call we'll call her C. Okay. Her name is C, and she's beautiful, redhead. She's got everything together. She's in her business suit. She has it lined up, very prim and proper, mm-hmm. and she's very confident. And she mm-hmm. looks at me in my mom jeans getting my Starbucks, just trying to start my day and figure out how to clear the cobwebs. And she just thinks, oh, she's so pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually had a coaching session around this once. And uh, do you remember Shrinky Dinks? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's like little plastic molds that you color and then stick in the um, toaster oven and they shrink up, right? Yeah. So I created a Shrinky Dink of her. So that I can step on her every oh, really? time I have this experience. So miraculously, she's she's not as much with me anymore. I used to carry her around in my pocket most times uh-huh. so that I would always have the ability to throw her out and step on her. Or eat her. Yeah. Or to- exactly. Toast Somehow it annihilate her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she, like happily, she's not with me that much anymore. Yeah. I feel like I'm starting to kind of exercise her out of my life. So my technique on that yeah. is, whether it's true or not, I do think or believe that most of us have two voices. One has a tendency to be somewhat harsh, mm-hmm. or and one has a tendency to be kind. And I literally reach my arm out and turn the volume down on the harsh one so you can't hear it. Uh-huh. And turn the volume up on the one that is just like gentle, compassionate, loving, and supportive. That's what ah, I do. That's fantastic. That's one. Little... That might be another one I have to steal from you. That's fine. <laughs> I'll get you some shrinky dinks and you can yeah, steal yeah, that yeah. from me too. Okay, good. <laughs> Tip for tat. That, that works for me. <laughs> Great. So another client that uh, with unexpected results? Yeah, well, kind of the polar opposite. Not necessarily opposite, but a different type of result. I had a client, and this does happen, where I'll have someone come to me with a problem that might be a little too intense, where I feel like mm-hmm. the, the, the services that I can provide mm-hmm. don't serve their need. So um, I had a client that I, I was seeing for several months, and there were some things that just kind of kept popping up around their mm-hmm. past. And um, there was 
obvious abuse that hadn't been dealt with. Mm -hmm. And I knew that what they needed to really focus in on was how to, how to really psychoanalyze their life and have a professional that's able to do that. So I had a conversation with them and said, I would love to continue coaching, but what I know you need is a therapist. You need to see a psychoanalyst because you need to dive into this past experience. Uh, I would love to continue coaching you, but I need to make sure that it, it, it you can financially do both of these things. Mm-hmm. And um, she ended up leaving me and going to a psychoanalysis because she could not afford to do both. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did come back after mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. about 18 months, and we had a couple more sessions, and it was incredible to see where she had kind of been able to create like the, the, the world that she'd been able to create for herself based off of the work that she had done mm. on herself, nice. which is so much the pinnacle of what I do. I can coach all day long, but if people don't put in the work, if yeah. they just show up to the session and then hang up the phone or leave my office and decide, okay, good. Check that off the list. Yeah. If they don't do the work between sessions and it's not even, it's not even worth doing. Right. Therapist I worked with for many years, um, I mean, his thing was, don't really want to work with you unless you really want to make a change. Mm-hmm. And in order to make the change, it's going to take some work. Yes. So he didn't. He Absolutely. didn't. He didn't do social therapy like so many people do. You know. Oh, I like that term. Yeah. Yeah, social mm-hmm. therapy, where it's just like for twelve years you're sitting sitting with a therapist and nothing really changes. That's, right. That wasn't his thing. So he he had a tendency to be kind of brutal, but. It got a shift in me. Yeah, that's and I. That's what you have to do. I think as a coach and as a coachee, you need to be ready to engage in those types of really difficult conversations. Yeah, where you kind of get kicked in the pants sometimes, and you get held to your word. The yeah. accountability piece in coaching, I think, is really the most powerful part of the entire yeah relationship. And it can be the most loving thing you can offer someone. Yeah, absolutely. Tough love, I think, is what some people call it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your friends aren't going to hold you to your word the way that a coach yeah. will. Yeah. They just won't. And that's 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 what my clients need. So who typically um, who typically finds you? And I'm going to say find you because it's easy to imagine that. I mean, we live in a world where you know the internet's really important and social media and all that stuff. But I'm imagining kind of like I met you mm-hmm. and felt mm, there's something different here. Let's find out. So how, uh, what kind of people typically, you know, what kind of people find you? I mean, who, yeah. who do you work with? What's really common? My, like, mostly my, women, right? Yes. My primary focus is women in transition. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've worked with divorce attorneys, which kind of sounds like an interesting path to go down, but mm-hmm. that's a huge transition, you know, mm-hmm. for, for women. Um, and that's been really, really incredible for me to help people how, in that incredible place. Incredible how? To, to see women come out the other side and take back their power, mm-hmm. understand that they still have so much to give the world, even mm-hmm. in this place where they feel broken and alone, mm-hmm. and to help help them realize how valuable and strong and forceful their presence can still be, mm-hmm. um, even more so. Because having those experiences and having those real impactful transitions that feel like they're ground shaking Mm -hmm. you come out the other side of that and i promise you are going to be more interesting more creative more capable than you were before 
Mm. That can be a real positive life-changing experience. So that's, that's been a wonderful place for me to, to, to help nice. to find people. Yeah, and the divorce rate, as I understand, is like 50%. Yeah, it's pretty it's, crazy. Yeah, I don't... I don't feel like it wavers much from there. I keep checking back on it, and I think it's gone from like 48 to 51. <laughs> so oh, really? It's pretty right on, yeah. yeah. And something's not right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and let me ask you what, do you, what do you think it might be? Well, I mean, gosh, I, I remember... Just a guess. Yeah, you know. I, I, asked, I asked this this one man once, this, you know, like we all do when we meet elderly couples that are still married, like, how do you make it work? And he told me, and he was like an old, kind of old codger. Yeah. He said, uh, just don't get divorced. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's that. There's that of just not giving up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, But I really honestly think that it's just stopping trying. Mm-hmm. It's not not connecting anymore on either side. Mm-hmm. And you can't control what the other person is doing. But at some point, there's one person that stops trying to connect. And I think it can have a domino effect. Mm-hmm. Life is long and life is hard. And there are so many obstacles that we're going to come up against. And we grow and we change as humans and it actually, it, it's a big ask for us to grow and change together as a couple. Mm-hmm. So you've got to put in a ton of work. Mm-hmm. I also think it's often um, um, individuation is not in, been in consideration. Right. So yes. when people get together, it's usually often, if you're young, it's a physical, chemical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a tendency to uh, be way too lenient with the person that we meet, mm. which crops up later when you go, oh, I actually don't like this. Right. You it's know? not just, yeah, an evening. It's a life partner. Yeah. yeah. But it's the individuation. At some point, you know, it's like, you just got to maintain your independence. Yeah. Know who you are. I think that's so true. And it's mm-hmm. really kind of creating that structure and mm-hmm. the communication to let the other person know, I, I celebrate you as an individual. We don't need to be everything to each other. Right. It's impossible to be right. everything to each other. You can't ask your spouse right. to be everything. You need other people. You need a support network. Mm-hmm. You need people that you can go to for other parts of your life that that partner you know that husband or wife or can't necessarily give you Mm -hmm. it's just it's too much to put on one person's shoulders it is yeah so what other kind of transitions do you help people with divorce is one Mm -hmm. uh change in job either you know going going to that next level i think as women we still struggle with the concept of asking for what we want and what we need and what we're worthy of Mm -hmm. There's still a huge pay gap that we need to rectify, mm-hmm. but yep. just having the ability to have the voice and the language around going to your boss, asking for a promotion, mm-hmm. asking for what that next step is for you. So that's, that's something that I really enjoy doing is mm-hmm. kind of giving, giving those, those words, helping, helping those clients find that specific language to empower them to get to that next level, or at least get to the ask. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't come back to them, if they don't get it, hey, maybe it's not the right company for you. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps going back to work after being home with kids for a while. Oh, yeah. That's a huge transition, especially mm-hmm. in our, our neck of the woods here in what Southern about, California. What about younger women coming out of college or university? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I, have you had any of those experiences? Because uh, that that's a pretty abrupt transition. Yeah, it sure is. I have n- I I've coached one person that was actually uh, the daughter of one of my clients. Mm-hmm. She didn't really seem ready for it. Not to say that that's not a very ripe area of people that need that ability, that that coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't been my primary focus, so I can't really speak to it. But I would love to work with those people because, I mean, I just love their energy. Mm-hmm. Millennials are a little older at this point, but I've been able to work with several millennials, and that's been just so much fun. They're so energetic. They love life. They want to be a part of what's going on, and they want to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, this just next generation coming up is kind of an anomaly. I think we're all still trying to figure out yeah. you know, what their space is going to look like. But no, I think that, yeah, I would I would love to work with, with young women that are trying to find their voice and figure out what's next for them coming mm-hmm. out of college. And if it was five years down the road, what would you like to be doing? Five years down the road, I would love to have some type of, in conjunction with my own coaching practice, some type of a pro bono program where I work with women that have perhaps suffered um, abuse Mm -hmm. that are trying to find their voice again. My life purpose statement that I created when I was in my curriculum at CTI was, I am a vibrant badass that champions voice. Badasses. We like badasses. <laughs> no, we do. Comes up a lot in conversations I have with some of the other women I work with, actually. Oh, I love projects. it. You oh, gotta no, get to no, know no. these women. Yeah. <laughs> Myela uh, Manassian is one. Ah. She's an environmentalist. She, we just started a podcast called Tiny Climate Challenge. Oh, very cool. She's, you know, she was introduced to me as a badass from Ashley Mazanik <laughs> at Let's Talk About the Weather podcast. Oh, you got to meet, you know, she wants to podcast. She's a badass. Okay, great. So, ba- <laughs> so you're a badass and everybody, yeah, that's fun. Nice. Good. I'm in good company. You're very good company. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what, that's what I would do. I would love to, I would love to have the capability and the freedom to just donate my time to women that, that need to find their own internal badass. Yeah. Yeah. They need to get back connected with their strength and their power. And you said their voice. Yes. Their voice. To ask for what they want Mm -hmm. to to tell, say who they are. Exactly. Yeah. To figure that out. Well, with the political climate and the likes of people like, um, AOC, Mm. Alexander. Okay. So I follow her a lot and Mm -hmm. I, I mean, Another badass. Uh huh. You know anybody Absolutely. else out there? Do you have any mentors that like you look up to? Um. Well. Um. So many. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, that was a big long pause. That was not a skip in the tape. No, no, no. Sorry. So many. Yeah. No. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. Oh yeah. She's just incredible. What she the all the obstacles that she experienced growing up mm-hmm. and through her career. And, you know, coming out where she is today, mm-hmm. she is still just a bad ass. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see her in the movie? I did. Yes, I, I did. It, it was it was really good. Yeah, it was really well done. Any others? Uh, yeah, I've been lucky enough to have some really good professors that helped to shape my world. Mm-hmm. Um, and also family members. My mother-in-law is incredible. She was actually one of my, one of my teachers 
during my coaching curriculum. Nice. And um, and my sisters. I'm uh, I'm the youngest of five. And oh, you're the youngest of five. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I'm the youngest of three. Oh my gosh! No kidding. By eight minutes, I have a twin sister. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, we have to talk about that. Yeah. So I have three sisters and one brother, and they are all incredible humans. I'm very very lucky to have been able to have a family that I really appreciate and respect. Nice. And they've taught me so much about how to be a strong human and about a, how to be a strong woman and navigate the world and not take any BS mm-hmm. from anybody about who I want to be mm-hmm. and what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I think I already got the answer to the question earlier, but if there was like one defining moment in your life where everything changed, what was it? I think even though I've dealt with uh, some some very difficult medical concerns, I really think the defining moment for me was when I had my son. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I have I have two children. I have Benjamin and Megan, and Megan is incredible and oh my gosh, she makes my world just light up. The best hugger in the world. But as a parent, I feel like the first time you experience parenthood it is life altering. Mm. Being the youngest of five kids and just being who I am, I've always been very self absorbed. Mm. You know, it's been my life. Where am I going? What's the next adventure? How am I going to get there? And, you know, who, who do I need to engage with to make this happen? And, and what friends can I bring along to make the journey even that much more fun? Nice. But having a baby and realizing that it's not about you anymore mm. is so incredible. And in many ways, uh, I just have to exhale because it feels like, okay, it's not about me anymore. And that's incredible. I can finally stop paying so much attention to me and focus all my energy on this other little human. You can stop driving yourself crazy. Yeah. And also that I think having that lens of focusing on, on him and now Megan too, it creates this compassion in me where I can focus on other people and other humans and other individuals' problems. So besides that, what have each of them taught you? Oh my gosh. Patience. Patience. (laughs) Yes. Patience and how to explain things. I feel like I always, I I felt I was a good teacher. Like I could Mm -hmm. explain things, but until you have children, you don't know how Easily you can confuse people, mm-hmm. how to really get to basics and help them understand this is what I need. This is what I'm seeing from you. Mm-hmm. Just replaying what's happening in their world. So teaching, that's, that's a huge, a huge thing that I've learned from my kids. Then they teach me too, because they feed back and they mirror back what I'm telling them. Yeah. So um, my my little one Megan, she loves to dance around and go awesome, awesome, awesome. And her other big thing is, I love it, I love it. And I realize <laughs> I say those two things very much. <laughs> so maybe I should kick up my vernacular a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll end up publicly saying it here, but a um, year and a half ago, people would say, oh, do you have any kids? And I would jokingly say, or maybe not jokingly to some people, not that I know of. (laughs) Okay. Well, about a year ago, a year ago, this last March, I got, it's a long story I'm not going to go into, but I got a series of emails that basically with a young woman that introduced herself as 
uh, my biological daughter. Wow. And she said why she thought that was true, and it was like absolutely true. So I spent two days with my monkey mind going, do I need to get a DNA test? What does she want for me and all this? And I suffered myself for two days, and I couldn't really keep my mind on work whatsoever. Mm, so the third morning I woke up just completely different, going, how wonderful is this? You know, my heart just exploded. And But the feeling I had, one of the feelings I had, I guess, was I felt like I had another mouth to feed. Oh, wow. And I had never experienced that before. So coming from a man's position, you know, you know so that's just like one emotion. Mm -hmm. And we haven't, you know, we haven't been able to really connect very well. And she lives in Vancouver, British Columbia. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I miss her. I, you know, we've had some wonderful conversations, but I haven't talked to her for about a year now. She's not hasn't been real available. Mm. So, but um, I, I get it. When you have children, everything can change. Gosh, and the yeah, focus the comes of off. Yeah, the focus comes, you know, the focus for those that one morning came completely off me and, oh my God, open heart. You know, it was just wonderful. Wow. So I'm not done with all that yet. No, you sound like you have a lot to explore there. I do. You need to get, I gotta get out to Vancouver. I do. Mm -hmm. I do. So, what is the, uh, if there was one thing that you think people need to hear, mm. what would it be? About me or about the world? Whatever. Anything? You choose. You can talk about your favorite uh, ice cream. I don't care. <laughs> Mint chocolate chip, of course. Well, we got that. But could you go a little <laughs> deeper? Well, I think that what I want to do in the world and what I feel like is the most important thing is for people to be compassionate with each other mm -hmm. and to help develop each other. Selfishness is no place. And we're in this incredibly difficult climate right now, mm -hmm. politically, where there's so much divide and everyone feels as though they're so different from their neighbor based mm -hmm. off of who they voted for or who they're supporting. And it's just a really terrifying and sad place to be. If we can just take that apart, peel off that layer of political choice and get to the core of the fact that we are all humans. We all just want to be loved and to love and to feel success in our life and to feel like we're doing good and connect with that piece of your neighbor and help them develop that part of themselves. That's, that's what I think would make this world a better place and that's what I hope everybody wants to do at yeah. their core. Yeah. I think what lacks is curiosity. Oh, it's so true. I, I, I just, you know, I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico most of my adult life. And so I was a minority. It was mm. mostly Hispanic. I prefer to say Latino mm -hmm. and American Indian. And I was, I, the white man was the minority. And so, wow. so for me, I got to walk in another man's moccasins. Mm. You know, and so around here in California, it's like everybody seems to have the lawn guy or something. Yeah. Who most of the time doesn't speak very good English, but I love spending time with them. Absolutely. I, yeah. Strong for family values. Oh, my God. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's it's heartbreaking to see how those families are being torn Treated. apart. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, it really is. And I, I'm, my father is Hispanic and, um, Mm. and you know, we have a long line of both Mexican, Spanish and American Mm. Indian heritage. And to think that I show up and I look like a little white girl because my mom's Irish, but my entire family was definitely treated poorly based off the color of their skin. And now just because these people are first generation to this com- this to this country, they're being treated the same way suddenly. Mm. And it's not fair. And it, it doesn't make sense. Right. And it's not helpful. No. And it's not unifying. Yeah. You know, we are I don't want to turn this into a political podcast, but you know, this country was based off people coming here as immigrants. We were the melting and pot. And some of our greatest leaders, inventors, intellectuals and everything else. Absolutely. I don't know anybody in this country that isn't an immigrant. No. I'm an immigrant in California. I was born and raised in Portland. I went to Santa Fe. I was an immigrant from Portland while I was in Santa Fe. And then I came down here. I'm still an immigrant. I'm an immigrant. Just just because I didn't come from Colombia or Venezuela or Honduras doesn't mean I'm not an immigrant. Everybody I know in this country is an immigrant. Yeah. It's just a matter of how bar- so get far a back grip. the line you go. Exactly, get a grip. We're just human. Uh-huh. We're just humans trying to make our way in the world. Yes, well, honestly, folks, labels are for pickle jars. <laughs> nice. Right? They really are. That's great. Anything I else you want it. to cover? No, I think, I think that's it, that's okay. it for me. 